as as fun as much fun as we are right now. We have a we have Will Baggett as our guest today, and oh my goodness, Will, you, we're, we're we're dying laughing here even before we got started, right? <laughs> man, yeah, man, what a what a great conversation, great opportunity to, to join you guys here, man. So much energy and love the energy you guys bring to this platform, and just excited to be on with you guys today. Well, thanks for making the time, and and for the audience. Uh, I came across Will, one of his articles, and just like, I got to reach out to this guy, man. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and Will is, Will is I, as you can tell, he has a ton of energy, too. And he's a leadership development uh, consultant uh, and also a two-times author, uh, as well as a brand strategist and storyteller. But in speaking with Will, you're going to find that this – this awesome individual has done some stuff, man. <laughs> Thank you, man. Oh, we haven't even gotten to the good stuff yet, man. <laughs> well, well rather than me belaboring the point and reading stuff and such, why don't you tell us yeah. a little bit about yourself there? Yeah, you know, I'll start where, where it all kind of started, man. I was six years old. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember the movie Street Fighter. It came out in like 94. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jean-Claude Van Damme. Yeah. yeah, so... I had an obsession, man, with like movies and talking and oration. I just loved it. So I memorized the entire movie, all hour and a half of it. I mean, every syllable. And I made my dad come sit down and watch it with me. And so he sat there and like halfway through, he starts looking at me. Boy, he said, Boy, what's wrong with you? I said, nothing. I'm still reciting. And so he got me tested. And that's when he realized, okay, okay, he's not stupid. He just might have a little gift here. So let's, let's channel his energy in the right place. And from that point on, man, I've always been obsessed with just oration and just the development and storytelling and what what can be done with a great story, what narr- what a narrative can do to someone's life. And so that just kind of led me to becoming a writer. And somewhere in there, I worked in sports. I was a performance coach for a couple of years. I lived in Atlanta, Georgia. I worked for the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl. Uh, I was actually an extra on a couple of, uh, on a movie and a few TV shows. So that was fun. Uh, Flanky, I was one, one, one TV show. I was, Gabrielle Union was, that's called Being Mary Jane. And my job was to walk behind Gabrielle and not look at, not look at her. Like talk about a tough job. (laughs) I I made 865 an hour and it was the best day ever. So That was my acting experience in a nutshell. Uh, Ole Miss undergrad, Baylor for grad school. Vincent spent three years at the college football playoff and also did the Super Bowl last year, done a number, number of Final Fours. So been in major events management for the past, say, 10 years and a speaker for the past six years and just finished my second book. Uh, it was an ebook this past January. So man, it's been an interesting and fun journey, man. But, uh, you know, I, I love to create. I love the impact it can have on people, and I just live for challenge. So I'm, that's my that's the story. No, well, you're you're very humble about. It. I mean, your first book, I think it still has all five star ratings, right? <laughs> yeah, yes, I hope so. <laughs> so, yeah, man. You know, I, you know, I've learned, man. It's it's better when other people tell your story. You know, I've, I've learned that. So, and I do appreciate that. And I think we still do have it. And yeah, I mean, now, you know, we we're very proud of that and the impact it had. But more importantly, we just live for the emails that come through and say, "Hey, man, this this helped me get a job. This changed my life. This changed my perspective." But yeah, I think we got all five stars, and uh, hopefully, it stays there. So, thank you for mentioning that. Oh yeah. From the, the stuff I was looking at, it almost seems like your your secret power is this your genuineness. So you have a you have a, a solid message, but 
you just have a way of, of making oh, it you. feel like you're just like some some guy talking from a corner office under a stairwell. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> yeah. you know, that's the thing. You know, my, my dad told me, told me a long time ago, and I never understood it until years later, but he always told me my grandmother was was rich. And I was like, what do you mean rich? She doesn't even have a car. What do you mean she's rich? <laughs> and he, he always said, have you ever seen her go without anything? And I was like, no, she was a church mother because my grandfather was a pastor. And so anytime she would babysit me, people would come by with, with goods and feminine products and food products. And so I finally understood years later what he meant by being rich. He meant that she was rich in relationships. And so ever since then, I always tried to be rich in relationships and social capital and, and genuineness because there is a lot of distractions. A lot of people are trying to get over and do different things. But, you know, I have to go to bed every night knowing that what I did, what I put out into the world will come back to me, good or bad. And so you that's know, what I, I tried to kind of model. What, okay, as dorky as this phrase sounds, yeah. it just came to me. You exude awesomeness, man. Oh, thank you, man. Thank you. <laughs> you really do. And just hearing about that. that upbringing and that uh, that uh, that character, uh, and going back to a little bit what Gary said there, and looking what you what you went through in order to become where and 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 continue to progress where you were. You brought up your 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 parents, right? And and oh, your man. father too. And there's there's something when I read this portion of I can't remember what article it was, but uh, your father would always and your mother would say always carry yourself in a respectable manner, mm -hmm. and especially protect the family name. That's uh, right. That's right. You that's know right. that. And, and be I, nice. And be nice. That was a big one. Yeah. yeah and be nice. Yeah. It was very be, simple. But you know, my dad. You know, he wasn't like Stalin with an iron fist, but it was pretty close. <laughs> you know, he he expected excellence. And, you know, when he saw I have two brothers, when he saw our capacity, he never let us dip below that. I think that, that's his greatest skill. So now I'll, I'll tell you the story. And this is a true story. And he, you know, he knows I tell it. So he doesn't really mind. But my dad's nickname was work clothes. When he was in high school. And so he yeah, he wore his overalls, work clothes every day to school because he was worried about getting off out of school to go to work at the gas station from three to 11. Right. That was his whole M.O. in his mind. And so it came up to senior year and graduation and he just for just for whatever reason, just couldn't make Y equal MX plus B and slopes and algebra. He just yeah. wasn't feeling it. And so he ended up paying his English, his math teacher, I'm sorry, 60 bucks to pass him and <laughs> in high school and he graduated. That's how he graduated. And you fast forward years later, my oldest brother won three science fairs and got a full scholarship for building a computer. And I got the highest, Average in my entire school for pre-algebra when I was in seventh grade. So I credit that to Kim. He never once knew what our homework was about, but he knew our capacity and he never let us dip below that. And so I respect him for being able to hold that standard, even though he didn't know what any of those letters meant. And so that was a huge thing for us. Oh my gosh. I'm getting goosebumps just listening to this stuff. <laughs> I mean, just, just to know that he wouldn't let you live below your capacity. And, yeah. and, and recognizing that and and driving driving that uh uh forward in you and and the thing is audience you might be thinking hey man that's it's it's all about the dad and you know what all all cool stuff but fact of the matter is i mean if you get a little personal here too i saw also that it, there was one point when there was a lot of financial struggle as far as yes. loss of jobs and such, yes. and such and just things that you went through in yeah. order to understand well even amidst all this tough crud 
Yeah. You found a certain resilience. I'm just wondering if you wouldn't mind sharing. Yeah. Yeah, what, of course. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, absolutely, man. So I was I would go back to I think it was February 18th, 2003. And we were coming home from Bible study. And as soon as we got home, we saw smoke in the air. I'm like, what is that? And our house was on fire. Oh. And so yeah, usually I would stay home while my yeah. parents were the Bible study, but it's that that specific day. Yeah. And I'd be home sleep, you know, I'd be home. I went home doing homework. I would sleep. And so that, that particular day they took me to Bible study with them. And, you know, it, you know, we came home and it was it was devastating to see your house yeah. on fire. And, and you know, I can just smell the smell. Yep. It's the yep. smell. Like I don't even know how to explain it, but there's nothing to explain the smell of the burning wood mixed with water and it's just it's a it's the weirdest yeah. if i smell it anywhere i go i know yep. exactly what it is yeah so that was devastating to be honest with you and so we moved into my aunt's house that was two two doors or two two houses down and stayed there for a couple of years as we built back our home and in the midst of that you know we got back into our our new home my dad suffered uh two aneurysms and oh, so if you man. look at anything about aneurysms yeah. one will take you out he had two in a week Wow. And on the second one, it was, I think, Tuesday, it was Tuesday, it was August 2006. It was on Tuesday. I'll never forget that. And it was 6.46 a.m. He called me on my cell phone. He said, uh, son, come into my room and don't be afraid of what you might see. I'm like, what do you mean don't be afraid of what you might see? Mm. So my mom's already gone to work. And so I walk into his room and my dad's sitting on the edge of the bed. And his body fluids are gone. So oh. if you know anything about transition, you know what that means. Yeah. And so... To that, to this day, and even before then and after then, he's never had an issue with any incontinence or anything like that. Yeah. But that day, his body fluids were gone. So I called, he said, call your mama, tell her to come home. So I called my mom, she rushed home. And my mom's just, a, she's a wizard. I mean, and, and 30 minutes, that house smelled like the Garden of Eden. You know I, mean? <laughs> like, I mean, my mom, I don't know what she did. So, yeah, that was that piece of it. And then next thing you know, the recession hits 08, 09. And my dad those houses for a living. And so that directly impacted us, right? right? Then my mom was laid off and my mom was rear-ended in a car wreck. Uh, the guy was going 65 miles per hour, hit her from behind at a dead stop. Oh, And they said God. the only thing holding her neck on was skin. What? So we had to deal with that. Absolutely, yeah. They had to fuse her neck back together. So oh. we had to deal with that. Then 0809 hits, we lose the home that we built back after the one that was, you know, that was, that oh, was burned down on. by fire. Yeah, absolutely. And so my mom and dad moved into an apartment in Oxford, Mississippi. And I'm I'm in Starkville in college doing my first year of college there right. as a freshman. And to help them out, I decided to transfer schools back to Ole Miss so I can be closer to them and help them out. And from that point in time, I started I working at Walmart. I worked overnights. So I was working 10 p.m. to 7 a.m. I was on aisle four. I had the ketchup, salad dressing, Lipton tea, and the pickles. <laughs> and, you know, that's when I learned. That's, that's, that was the best aisle in the nation. Like, you know, I, I learned that how you do anything is how you do everything. So oh, even in the midst of that, I knew that wasn't my destination, but these things transfer. So how you tie your shoes, how you go about your life is going to transfer to other, other aspects of your life. Yeah. And so just went through all of that, man. And all it was just a lot just at one time. And then it was, of course, financial hardship. I'm just I'm just in college. I'm just trying to make it through. And um, it just really was it was eye opening because we grew up, I would say, privileged from mm -hmm. from the socioeconomic status of where I was from. But in an instant, things can change. We found that out that way. But the one thing that I saw is my parents' loyalty to one another. So they've been married. It'll be 42 years this year. Oh, man. And through, awesome. Yeah. And so I told you my dad had the two aneurysms. I didn't tell you 
he fell off. He laid a motorcycle down um, when I was born and inside his body was scarred. He fell off a roof um, when I was two and broke his ankle and, and got oh. had screws in it. He's flipped two cars. He's, he's beat colon cancer and gallstones. So oh, he truly has nine lives. Like okay. I'm mean, dead serious. Yes, <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, my mom just never budged. Like when my dad had the two aneurysms and he was in the hospital for three weeks, my mom slept in a chair, in a reclining chair in the lobby for three weeks and did not move. Oh, you know, man. I mean, we had six, six cars at home. We had, you know, money in the bank. She did not move. And so that really showed me a lot about my family's resilience and what we were made of. And I think that kind of catapulted, you know, me into some other other arenas. And the last thing I'll say, I think what pushed me into writing the book that we first talked about is that when I was in college, well, I was in high school, I was in an accelerated or AP English class. And at that point in time, you're talking about mid 2000s. And so culturally, I was in the culture. So yeah. I had about two X shirt. I'm not tall. And I had, you know, some really baggy jeans that looked like curtains. And I had a closet full of them and I had a <laughs> necklace down to my navel. I mean, it was crazy. But I had a teacher that saw my writing ability and she told me, she says, you're a writer. Like, no, I just want to give me a nice car with some speakers in the back, some big ramps. And no, no, no. She says, you're a writer. And I never really interpreted that until seven years later when I started writing my first book and I reached back out to her and I said, thank you. Thank you for seeing something beyond my external appearance. And so that's what I try to do now is I try to make sure I, I see people because yeah. I was seen a lot of aspects of my life. So I'll stop there, but hopefully that kind of okay. aligns with me. You know, I've got to ask, what of course. what was it like when you you went back to that teacher? What was that reunion like when you said, thank you, thank you, thank you? Oh man. Oh, she, she was ecstatic. And I actually reached out to help get help with the editing of the book. You know, obviously she, she was an English teacher for over 30, 40 years, but this is the kicking part. So I left this part out December 15, 2014. I got a call. This is probably about six months after I started writing the book. I got a call that she passed away in a car accident due to a heart attack. Oh, and no. you talk about being crushed, man. And like, and honestly, I kind of stopped writing the book because mm -hmm. I got writer's block and I got a little discouraged and keep in mind, I'm 25 at this time. Right? right. So I don't have a lot of life experience. Right. And so I think it was that, you know, after the grieving period, a few months later, you know, I knuckled down and buckled down and finished the book. And so if you, if you were to look at the second page of the book, you'll see uh, her favorite poem is on there. Oh, captain, my captain is dedicated oh, yeah. to her memory. So I think that experience, I could I could point to that kind of watershed moment yeah. as the one that propels me to go do something before something bad happens, Man. right? Before any tragedy strikes, before someone you care about leaves this earth. If you're going to do something, go ahead and do it. Uh, and, you know, so people can, you know, you can, I don't know. I just really want to make people that help me proud. I really do. Like that's a yeah. that's something I carry, carry with me because as I get older, your parents get smarter <laughs> and you get more appreciative. You know what I mean? So- that really is a driving force behind it. And I'll never forget this as well. You know, this was a guy named Mr. Fox. I was in a bank doing a transaction for my dad. I was about 14 and I'm at the bank teller I'm doing the transaction and I just hit puberty. So my voice just changed <laughs> and he leaned over, you know, now keep in mind for context, years prior, like two years prior, a year prior before I hit it, people would call the houses back in landline time, right? <laughs> it's not cell phone time. <laughs> Uh, people would call the house and they would mistake me for my mom. Like that's how light my voice was. 
<laughs> and so you fast forward and this thing comes out I'm like okay and so he he'd known that and so he leaned back from his his teller when he was doing his transaction he said he says look he says uh little will i said yes sir he said is that you i said yes sir he says uh, he said man i didn't know you sounded like that he says he said one day you're gonna use your voice to help people you watch what i tell you i was 14 years old man that's so cool that is yeah. awesome but he had, yeah i mean you know it was just it was the most random thing but i never forgot it and so it makes me think about that that true kathy quote all the time found a chick-fil-a how do you know if someone needs encouragement the answer is if they are breathing and so I try to carry oh, that everywhere that I go. So isn't that amazing? I, I have a, a similar experience with my my English teacher. Yeah. In high school, you know, I was typical high school kid, yeah. and uh, she had this assignment. She's like, "You're gonna write." I think it was like 20 pages a week, and we're like, "About what?" She's like, "You're gonna write 20 pages a week." And so I said, "Like, well, I'm gonna be a smartass, and I'm just gonna write the most nonsense, like whatever yeah. I want." Yeah. And she would come back and go. Man, you're creative. You're stuck with <laughs> you know, Wow. I'm sitting there trying to trying to to show her what a ridiculous thing this is. Yeah. I had that same experience. I went back years later. I'm like, you push me to be, you know, if you're a good writer, you can be a good speaker. If you can yes. be a good speaker, you yeah. can be a good communicator. If you can be a good communicator, you can bring teams together. You know yes. what I mean? Like yes. it, it's amazing. But I love that quote because yeah. Everyone needs someone just to say, "Hey, you're good at this, man." Yes, yeah, you absolutely. Know, that's yeah, that's powerful stuff. I also yeah, have to man. say real, real, real quick. The thing yeah, I yeah, yeah. was cool talking about the struggles that you and your family went through mm -hmm. is it seems like, like you, you, that's a part of who you are. Those struggles mm -hmm. are a part of who you are, but you didn't let them be who you are. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Whereas it's almost like it, yeah, sometimes people that go through that type of stuff, it becomes that, that's just their identity and that's that's all they are. Mm -hmm. Whereas you, you, you and your family seem to use that as just like, OK, that's a stepping stone to move on to something. else. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, th I think that I think the biggest thing was that it, it humbled me a lot, you know, because I'd only seen one side of the world. I'd only seen, you know, you, everyone has a kind of a paradigm to see, see life through. Everyone sees life differently. And so for the better part of my life and understanding, I got to, I, I, so nerd's going to come out here. Uh, I did a lot of stuff on like neuroscience and stuff like that and prefrontal cortex development. And your brain doesn't fully develop until like your mid twenties, give or take, you know, for most people. And so you don't see a lot of what's around you. You don't really begin to have feelings about your feelings and things of that sort and really have in-depth thought until you're later in your, in your twenties. And so I would say that, you know, I just kind of, I put it like this, give me just the best example I can give eighth grade i'm sitting in class and we get our progress reports and again i have a two-parent household you know they're doing well everything's cool and so i didn't grow up prior to recession i didn't grow up rough i didn't grow up struggling at all just being totally honest and i had a gentleman behind me name was uh, his name was mario noel and i just saw life through my lens and so he tapped me on the shoulder because he knew i'd done well in school academically but i also didn't have a lot of challenges mm -hmm. and disruptors either he tapped me on the shoulder. He said, uh, hey, man, I just want to show you my progress report. So I, I'll turn around and he has all 90 and above. I mean, he's killing. He's doing great. And so Mario had a tough kind of background. A lot of people living, four or five people living in a 1,200 square foot house. Drugs, guns, you name it, all around him every night. Like he probably go to sleep hearing gunshots, you know, more often than not. 
And I didn't realize at the time, you know, I just knew, you know, it wasn't the same. But when you're that young and that age, you don't necessarily look at differences and anything like that. You just won't have friends. Right. And that's the way I looked at life. So he taps me on the shoulder, says, hey, I want to show you my, my progress report and my grades. And I look at it, I said, man, you're killing it. And I say it to him verbally, I said, I bet you can't wait to get home and show your parents. They're going to be so proud of you. Mm-hmm. And I saw his eyes water a little bit. I saw his eyes kind of kind of tear up a little bit. And he said, you know, man, I'm just going to do what I always do. I'm going to sign this myself and bring it back. No one in my house cares. And I heard him, but I don't know if I was listening. Mm, you know what I mean? Sense. So I, I, I had to I reflect on that story a lot, especially when I'm working with groups. Is hearing and listening are two different things. And so I didn't really have the frame of reference to understand what he was saying, but I take it upon myself now, you know, to make sure when someone's telling me something, they they care about what they're saying. Like they want you to listen, to interpret them, to see them. If you can't fix it, just be able to see them. And so I try to be very intentional with that now because of that experience. And yeah, it's it's uh it really was a transformational time and it was years and years ago but there's some moments that allow you to stick out to you and that's one of them for, you know for sure so i'm like you man like I, every time i see someone i always want to tell them what assets they have what they're good at because you just never know you just never know and it doesn't hurt you to to, to give a kind word or a smile and uh yeah and that energy transfer man is, is major so yeah, thank you so, the, yeah. as people were so afraid of doing that it's yeah. Just, oh, it's, yeah, yeah. it's weird. The deepest thing we can do. <laughs> but we're so afraid of doing it. Like, yeah. we're afraid to tell someone they're doing something great. Yeah. Well, you know, I've learned that, uh, you know, I've learned that, you know, being able to be a great assistant or being second, like, for instance, in one of my business uh, ventures, Monetize Your Message, my mentor leads the charge with, you know, the content, Darren K. Roberts. And here's the reason why he's, you know, he's a little bit, he's my senior, obviously former professor, he's an NFL coach. He has gotten at least 10,000 hours more reps than I have right now. Mm-hmm. And so people say, well, why don't you just go out and do everything? Like, I need to learn. I got to sit in the hip pocket. I got to learn. Like Adam Silver, NBA commissioner, sat behind David Stern for 20 years right. before he stepped into that. And so I think now there's such a pressure or there's a there's an internal pressure people feel to just jump out and step out without having done research and development and, and done that. So if you see behind me, like there's over 110 books. Yeah. This is what I did from 2010 to 2017, right? I still read some, but not as probably much now, but I wanted to be a speaker. I, and like you said, if, you, if you're a great writer, great reader, you can great orator, great communicator, a great team leader, a great everything, but everything starts with communication. And so that's why I love how you said that and how you put that. And it's just kind of a chain reaction yeah. that comes from it. And like I said, I wouldn't be here without that. But I think if anything, and this is what strength coaching taught me, is that we you know we came in and our mentality was no excuses, right? Everything that we do was on us, our habits, and we always wore these wristbands. And actually, I still got it on to this day. It says confidence is a choice. And if you oh, see yeah. one, yeah, been on for 10 years, man, <laughs> and never take it off. The ones are in place of the eyes. And the reason the one, the numeral one places the I is because we always said to ourselves and our, to our team, I have the ability to do, to, ability to do one thing, 1% better, one day at a time. Yeah. And that's was our mentality. And so I think coming from that world and coming to the so-called civilian world helped a lot because it's close to military style. At the D1 mm-hmm. level, it's close. Like it is very close. 4 a.m. wake up time, 6 a.m. starts, you know, 
cleaning. You got you got you got ten minutes to eat breakfast. I mean, it was it was quick and fast, but definitely wouldn't be where I am without it. And the one thing my coach told me says, you want to be a great leader, you got to be the best assistant in the nation. You got to be a great assistant. So he told me, he says, if I'm ever working for you, I'm going to be the best assistant you ever had. And so that mentality, and this is a guy, you know, over half a million dollars a year, you know, just, I mean, killing it. Yeah. But he always kept that mentality. If I'm ever working for you, if something goes this way or that way, I'm going to be the best assistant you've ever had. And so I've channeled that in my own life to be the greatest assistant anyone ever has. You know what I love about everything that you're saying here, Will, is uh, that you don't become you don't become better just for the sake of becoming better yourself. In every aspect I've seen, uh, uh, it goes back to what your dad said: be, be mutually beneficial, right? Yeah, yeah. And it's amazing to see your your cycle of developing yourself, but then you give it right back. And you make yeah. people around you better. And I think that's why, and, and just listening to this, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm in a TED talk right now. I love that. Thank you, man. I just applied for, I just applied for my first one. So hopefully it comes through. Oh, oh, it will. It yeah. will. They need I'm to hear, sure. they really do need to hear the message because I'm, I'm looking at all the things that you've done. For yourself and the achievements and it goes back to what i just mentioned that you give it back you started a lot of different uh foundations you have that mm -hmm. the, the texas regional sports summit uh mm -hmm. there's something else that i had seen there that you would you had started um that uh oh what was that that uh, uh it's going to drive me nuts i would but I, I know that it was to help others yeah, and 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 giving them all kinds of developmental opportunities there. Oh, uh, thank you. Yeah. What, what what's that like? I mean, here you yeah. become, and now you're given back. What are, yeah. what are some of the things you've seen? Man, you know, it's one of those things. I try to do so much, and I forget what I've done. You know I mean? <laughs> if I can remember, yeah. if I can remember every aspect or every conversation, then I'm not doing enough. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so I had a buddy literally tell me yesterday at this uh, power breakfast at Chamber of Commerce. He was saying, man, I really appreciate what you told me, you know, back in 2016 when I was, you know, doing this and doing that. It helped me to get where I am today. I'm like, what I tell you? <laughs> you know what I mean? I didn't know. <laughs> and I was dead serious. Like, what you, what I say? You know, because my natural, my kind of natural, where I fall into, my natural selection is to encourage somebody. Yeah. And I've always, you know, enjoy, I've always kind of lived by the quote, this a Navy SEALs quote that says, we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to our level of training. That's why we train so hard. Mm. And so I think when someone has a great foundation to, I want to say, to, to fall on, so to speak, or to rest on, so to speak, it gives them encouragement to get back up. And so with the Texas Regional Sports Summit and everything else, it was always meant to kind of put it back in the bucket, so to speak, yeah. uh, just because is that's how I was raised. And, you know, I've had a lot of great opportunities that I realized were not normal, especially from a, for a young African-American male, just being totally honest. And the biggest thing, even with the first book, was about mentors being like a kind of handheld mentor because yeah. you can't always choose your mentors. You can't choose your parents. A lot of things you can't choose. And so I realized that there's a lot of people that came up in situations that were out of their control. Yeah. And if they just had a little bit of this, a little bit more encouragement, a little bit more mentorship or help or, you know, help them help them tie their tie a little bit better or pull the strings out the back of their coat. You know what I mean? You just yeah. be surprised. That's what I live for. And just because I'm still getting coached. And one thing my mentor always tells me, he says, elite people want to be coached. 
Yep. The average people get offended. And so I, I lean on that, you know, heavily to make sure I'm continually getting better because, you know, every year what makes, what makes me proud is I have some clients I work with every year as a speaker. And what makes me the most proud is they say it keeps getting better. It's not stagnant. It's not the same as it was last year. That's what keeps me going. Right. Yeah. You know, because I mean, totally honest, like I've seen speakers use the same slides for 10, 12 years. You know what I mean? I haven't yeah. changed a thing. Yeah. And we always, like I said, as coaches talked about what got you us here won't get us there. And so yeah. we got to keep getting better. We got to keep doing because no one It's like this. It's like the Los Angeles Rams last year, Super Bowl champions this year. No playoffs. Right. Yeah. yeah. People aren't going to sit around and let you dominate them year after year after year. People yeah. are going to get better. Yes. And so you have to be sharpening your sword as well. So that's what I've, I've seen a lot of. But, you know what? what oh, this is awesome. I'm sorry. Go ahead. One thing that just really hit me with all this is, and I don't think I've ever really thought about this before. And just listening to you, Will, kind of clarified it for me. Is I think I think everyone's going to have a mentor, whether we choose it or not. Like, mm. We have so many unintended mentors in our life. I'm thinking yeah. back to our, our interview with Bernard Tomey, where he grew up in a you know kind of inner city, really rough yeah. life. And uh, it's people who give you, um, what was the word, Maurice? Kind of your your acknowledgement. People that 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 um, are telling you who you are, and there's mm. always someone yeah. there to yeah. kind yeah. of tell yeah. you who you yeah. are. And so mm. it's almost like, like you are you are mentorship with a purpose. You know what I mean? Mm. Like like it's like active heat seeking mentorship. Like you are you are amazing. <laughs> You're good at this. You're good at that. Yeah, I just, you know, I think as a as a son of my, as a grandson of a pastor, and my brother was a pastor for a minister for a few years. For me, I genuinely don't like seeing people unhappy or not doing well or not living up to their potential. Like I, I don't, I just don't like it. You know, I think because I know what it, I know what it feels like to be there, and you know, you sometimes people just want to be heard, want to be just reached out to. It is just. An encouraging word which just changed their whole life and perspective and so you know i've tried to to embody that man but you know it's, it's it's it is honestly amazing when you think about mentorship and where it comes from because i had such a great foundation that i was around some stuff like i've seen a lot but i had a great foundation to where that didn't rock me from it but if you come up you know and that's all you know then you're going to naturally select to that to that environment and so it's it's kind of like we've talked when I would talk to talk to some, some groups. I would say you know you have a brand by design or by default. I think you're saying the same thing about yeah, mentorship. Yeah. You have some influences in your life by design or by default yeah. that that move you in a certain direction or move you in a certain way of thinking. And I think the biggest thing I try to do is just to remain open minded, yeah. to remain open minded because everyone that you meet knows something you don't know, and so. And and everyone I believe has a good bone in their body. Most people do. Most people have a good bone in their body. Just about finding it, getting past those layers and understanding that some things people experience or things they went through went, wasn't their fault. Right. And so we shouldn't prejudge them based on these things. And honestly, the biggest thing is kind of like going back to my teacher that saw beyond my my large clothing and look at, you know what I mean? She saw that something beyond that. And so I want to be able to see beyond what any exterior, what the you know, media may say or whatever that may look like. And just because I've seen a lot of different sides of it, I've seen friends go through life changing situations and I'm there. And like, even, you know, my, my friends at TCU, they went to the national, they went to the national championship last year, came up short. Right. But, you know, I'm there every week. We're still coaching, you know? And so I've learned how people can get on the bandwagon when everything's going well, 
But I tried to pride myself upon being around no matter what's going on. I'm going to be there to support you. And that's what I, you know, expect in return because you just never know where things can go. So I think it's important to 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 just put out what you what you want in return, man. Honestly, like that's the biggest thing. Man, so Don't there's so many right here, man. No, there's there's just so many lessons to be learned. I mean, I you could write an encyclopedia encyclopedia of will right here. Oh, thank you. What comes to mind always, though, is your ability to adapt. You don't just sit around. And on top of that, just the the what you just said there about loyalty. Well, you didn't come out and say loyalty, but regardless of whether the going is tough or the going is is the bandwagon, woohoo! You're always there, and that is that's not an easy thing to do uh, for many. And yeah. uh, including me, right? If you just, hey, time's good. We'll go with the flow. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, going with the flow, uh, one of our guests says uh, anyone could go with flow, even a dead fish, right? <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, that's good stuff. <laughs> you know, it's, uh, it's, you know, one thing I've learned, man, is, is that when it comes to being loyal or being, being in place, I think I'll give you an example. The reason I've, I've continued to follow the same guy around all these different institutions, wherever he goes, I go yeah. because in 2020, I got really sick. Mm. So I was, I had hyperthyroidism, but I, I wasn't aware of it for six months. And it was August 17th, 2020. I'll never forget it. I got a FaceTime call from the head coach, strength coach at TCU, head strength coach, uh, Kaz Kazadi. Yeah. And me and him have been tight since 2012. I walked into his office that first day. And I'll never forget it. I just switched from wanting to be a strength coach to going to the business side of sports. Right. And my ment- one of my mentors from Ole Miss, Jamil Northcutt, said, hey, when you get to Baylor, go in and meet with Kaz Kazadi. He's the head strength coach. Me and him were roommates with the Kansas City Chiefs. I said, cool, yeah, I'll go, I'll go meet with him. So I walk in, I got my khakis, my polo in, on and everything. And I walk in his office, knock on the door and everything. And I said, hey, my name's Will. And, you know, I'm here. I, you know, I used to coach, but... You know, I'm here to get my business, you know, business and sports degree and everything. He says, we'll start right there. He says, I used to coach. I said, yes, sir. But I'm switching over. He says, wait right there. Went outside, brought in the entire staff, all 15 people sitting around. He says, tell them what you just told me about how you're going to start coaching for us this year. (laughs) (laughs) And if you you see a picture of this guy, you, you do what he tells you to do when he says do it. I said, yeah, so I'll be here tomorrow morning. Uh, let me know what I should wear and where I, where I should be. And for the next two years, I was coaching every morning up at 4.15 a.m. And this was this was in addition to a full-time graduate school class schedule and also working for the American Football Coaches Association. So up at 4.15, at the weight room, no later than 5.30, start at 6, out by 8, go home, shower, eat breakfast at AFCA by 8.30, there till about 11, go to class, back to work, back to class, then back to the weight room to clean up and set up for the next day. And that was my schedule for like two years. Oh my goodness gracious. What was so, he doing? In your, in your words, so, what, was, what was he doing? Why did he yeah, do that? You know, honestly, he is a psychological genius. <laughs> so he he comes from the Congo, right? So he, he made it out of the Congo. Like he, it was a lot of hardship they faced. Yeah. Uh, and so basically he just, he actually got a citizenship, you know, in the last 10 years. I mean, just a lot of things he's done, but he just understands people. He understands what gets them going. And he expects excellence. Like one time, he kicked me out of a meeting one time because my because he could tell I was sleepy. My eyes were glazed. Kick me out of a meeting. He says, you're not ready to be here. Kick me out. But I think it was the standards because, again, if when you grow up in a privileged environment, 
you don't necessarily, you kind of skate through a lot of things because of who you are, who your parents are. Yeah. That was the first time I got broken to the point where nobody cared who I was or who my parents were. They like, hey, this is the job needs to get done. We do it at this level or not at all. Yeah. And so I think that shaped me a lot. So why I tell that story? Because that same guy that said, hey, you're coaching this tomorrow. <laughs> he's the one that FaceTimed me on August 17, 2020, when I'd been sick for six months, six months, and I didn't know what was wrong with me. He FaceTimed me, asked me how I was doing. And I was honest. I said, I'm not doing well, coach. He says, I'm on the way. So he drove from Plano, Texas to Dallas, where I was about 30, 30, 35 minutes to pick me up and take me four minutes to the hospital. I live right beside the hospital, but never went. Wow. And he picked me up and took me to the hospital. And they found out I was diagnosed with hypothyroidism. Basically, your thyroid number should be between 0.8 and 1.8. That's kind of your number. Mine was 7.4. Oh my gosh. My heartbeat was 40 beats too fast. Yeah. And they told me wow. that if they had gone untreated for, you know, another, you know, the few months, it would have taken me out. Oh. And so when people ask, like, why you know, I'm coaching? Why am I here? What you doing? Getting up? Why are you driving away to Fort Worth? You know, I said, because of loyalty, because I probably wouldn't be here. You know, I know I wouldn't be where I would be professionally, you know, without him. But also physically, in the physical living sense, you know, without him. And so, you know, I'm coaching. Ten years later, I'm coaching. So, oh my gosh. So, yeah. And that's cool, though, because, you know, here's someone that says such a hard nose on one side, but it's balanced by, but I got your back on the other side, 100%. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Even he went through some things at Baylor when the whole scandal came down. And, you oh, know, yeah. And, yeah. Yep. And so I was. Yeah. So that he was caught up in that. And here's the thing, uh -huh. though. Like I was in the meetings when he told the guys how we treat women. I was in the meetings. Yeah. I was in the meetings when he gave the PowerPoint presentation on no means no. I was there. Yeah. And so beyond the scope of this conversation, when some things went down with him, I had his back. That's that's the short answer to that. Yeah. That's the short answer to that question, you know, to that to that scenario. Never left. We wrote letters. We we did all kind of stuff. Like we we took care of business, and you just never, you just never forgot that. I never forgot him. And so you know, service can be more different. But you know, I go when I go to workouts and I go see him. He just lights up. You know, so you, you the exterior absolutely very hard, but like he just appreciates loyalty. You know, given that he's come from the Congo and his descent and what kind of person he is, they value loyalty even more so than an average person does. Yeah. And so, you know, that's what I try to exemplify. And it's obvious that you do exemplify it. Everything that you've been able to do, all the different teaching okay. that, you, that you've taught. I mean, it, it, you, I, and you're humble. I know you're, you won't bring this up, but I will. <laughs> that, that, that loyalty and, and just that, that care and understanding of people and making everyone around you better. I'm looking at some of the things that you've done. You, you've been recognized by the White House, right? By yes, the sir. White House. Uh, for, yes, it, for What was it? Department of Communication for Outstanding yes. Service to the President of the United States during his time in the college football playoff. What mm -hmm. in the world, man? And, and <laughs> you don't have to spout that because everyone else is going to do it for you because they understand that before the title or before the accolade, you've already built that credibility up with everyone. So that never needs to be brought up. And that's, that's what stood out uh, in this interview with you is that you are that kind of individual. And oh, I, I can't thank you enough for being that kind of individual. individual. <laughs> oh, I can't thank you enough Mo, for and Gary for the research that you put into your craft. You know, one of my favorite podcasts is how I built this with Guy Raz. 
And I listened to my favorite podcast is the one on how he prepares for his guests. Right. And so I feel as though there's been like a similar, if not even a more tailored and specific and just want to approach to this interview. And so from the bottom of my heart, just thank you for just your interest and and just reading up on my story. I mean, I just it, it just it's I'll tell anyone if it, no one can can argue with the fact it feels good to be known. It feels good to be appreciated. And so I want to tell you, thank you, you know, for just just everything you've done, everything you guys have just you know looked up and stuff I've forgotten about, honestly. You know, <laughs> I try to just outserve yesterday's version of me. Honestly, I want to outserve yesterday's version of me. So thank you. You're very welcome. I mean, that that is high praise coming from you. Yeah, I no doubt about it. That, but <laughs> I got to throw in one more adjective into our wisdom yeah, yeah. because, you know, as a center listening, you know, we t- you talk about confidence, you talk about loyalty, you talk about kindness. Yeah. But all all that kind of the glue it, it, it creates this confidence. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like I I always always use the example of. So I, I'm a, I'm a, I used to work in a trauma center as a nurse and, yeah. you know, you'd have, yeah. you'd have people come in and sometimes the doctors, there were the ones that would like lose their mind and yell at people and yeah. freak out. And then there were the other ones that were just calm. Yeah. Yeah. Really oh, man. The ones that were the calmest were the ones it was all about. It was all about confidence. Mm-hmm. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mick. Yeah. Can I, can I talk about that? Man? Oh, yeah. Awesome, man. yeah. You know, man, there's. You know, one thing we talk about, you know, as coaches, I, I keep saying coach, is the monotony of success, you know, to keep showing up, just literally keep showing up. I've learned 70, 80% is just showing up, just being present, being in the room, the things you'll glean, the things you'll learn, the conversations, the relationships you'll build by just showing up. Oh, yeah. That's the monotony of success, the kindness, the competence, the confidence, the loyalty costs all cost zero dollars, yeah. all cost zero dollars. Yeah. But that's part of the monotony of success. And Coach Cos talks about it all the time. He says, those that can do the same thing every single day, day after day, at a really high level, the same old stuff, those are the ones that will succeed. Yeah. And so being able to wake up in the morning, understanding you're not going to feel motivated every morning, and then let discipline start to kick in when motivation is down, you know, if you're really about yourself. And so really I've gotten to learn to train my mind to be disciplined even when I don't feel motivated, right? Maybe raining outside or whatever, and I got to get disciplined. And so one thing you talked about is the the calmness. So one of the best leaders I ever had, and it's kind of ties into the White House story a little bit, a guy named Michael Kelly, who hired me at the college football playoff in 2017. The backstory to that is I applied for a job there in 2016 that I didn't get selected for. So one of his subordinates, you know, I was interviewing for one of their positions and they went a different direction. But Michael and I, the COO, hit it off so well, he began to follow me on social media and nine months later reached out to me and says, hey, I'm creating a position just for you. You come work for me now. <laughs> and so you talking about this is a staff of 17 people. So it's not like people didn't know I was there nine months ago, you know, getting turned down from the job. But it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And one thing Michael always preached, he had it framed up in his in his office, was keep calm and play to your strengths. That's always we talked about. And so when I walked out of the office my very first week, it was the week of August 2017, the first week of August. Then on a Friday, I was walking out about 5.15, and he said, hey, Will, come here. I'm like, shit, I'm about to get fired, man. I ain't been here five days, ain't found the bathroom yet. I'm about to get fired already. So I walked back to his office. Yes, sir. He says, I wanted to just tell you that I'm glad you're here. 
He says, I just want to tell you, I'm glad you're here. That's it. There was no like, there was no monologues, no like long diatribe. I'm glad you're here. And I can't tell you what that did for my confidence level, mm -hmm. just to know that you're appreciated in a certain environment, especially one like that, right? Because sometimes people get blinded, people get blinded by the brand yeah. and don't look at the people within the organization. And so him creating that environment for me helped me get over the fact I didn't get over, get the job, you know, months prior and had to deal with that kind of internal like confusion or just uncertainty. And he walked me through every step of that process. The other part of it was 2018, the first year of the champ, well, that year of the championship, it was in Atlanta, it was Alabama versus Georgia. That's the year that Tua um, got put in for Jalen Hurts at the halftime. So oh, I was yeah. There. That, was my first, that was an amazing That was my first CFP championship. So I was in the opposite end zone watching. And But what led up to that, I'll never forget. And so that was the very first year we did mobile tickets. And I don't know if you know, but the average uh, football fan at that point in time, and even to this day, the average college football fan is a 55-year-old male with a flip phone. So <laughs> that's what we were dealing with. And we were trying to implement mobile tickets. <laughs> so we come to Atlanta and it was the coldest it's ever been in Atlanta in January. And every time we went somewhere, oh, it was never this cold here in the January. And was lo and behold, we come, it's always cold. So it was freezing there and it was raining and it was the first year of mobile tickets. And so I'll never forget this. It was, it was leading up to the game day with about six days prior, people were having <laughs> trouble getting their mobile tickets and stuff. I'm like guys, have you ever been on the plane before? What's going on? But they were having trouble. And so we had a staff of three at the time building calls and they had a 19 hour wait time. Like it was that backlog. And so I saw Michael Kelly saw what was going on and saw how stressed out the staff was because they literally couldn't go to sleep. Like it was backlog. He called the president and CEO of Ticketmaster. And I went out in the hallway, like I walked in the hallway and he was very calm with it. He says, yeah, he says, uh, we're having some trouble down here, you know, with our staff, they're stressed and not getting any rest, you know, and, and some go back and forth. He says, I don't care what it costs. Get them on the ground tomorrow. <laughs> I walk in the next day, eight suits from Ticketmaster walk in, set up laptops and start getting on the phones. And I said, wow, that's stout. You know, <laughs> that is stout. Yeah. yeah. And so I just, you know, and for him, it was, again, he had to have those pre, those, those relationships had to be already in place for him to make that phone call. And he got them on the ground the next morning. And so, and even, even in that same thing that would ha what happened that same kind of environment or that same uh, championship game th three days before a kickoff, I was out eating, eating dinner and I was in our 2018 courtesy car. It was a Mercedes GLK ABC one, two, three, something. I don't remember. I can't pronounce <laughs> something out of my tax bracket. And I walk outside after I get done eating my, my passenger side window was smashed in and they took my backpack. Oh no. Now, and I, yes, I learned a big lesson in perspective that day because in that in that backpack was my laptop, iPads, you know, I was in charge of credentials and security. So you couldn't get to the game unless I reviewed your credential and I worked with security, secret service, all that kind of stuff. And I looked on the foreboard and there was this pad folio there that was from the day earlier, from that from from that day earlier. I'm like, why did they just take everything? But I thought back to it. I picked up my boss and Bill Hancock that morning and Michael left that portfolio, the COO, he left that portfolio on the back seat by accident. After I dropped him off, he said, hey, make sure I get that portfolio back. I said, okay, no problem. So I took it through on the front floor, but I wouldn't forget it. Well, we don't get smashed in. 
they take all my stuff, my laptop, everything. And it's three days before kickoff now, and I still got thousands of credentials to get through. It's my first game. I've only been on the job four months. I mean, I'm freaking out. And so I look on that foreboard. I pick up the portfolio, and I'm like, I almost throw it in the back seat. Like, why didn't just take everything and just add insult to injury? But I open it up, and I started flipping, thumbing through it, and I pour it out and outfell 20 sweet tickets to the national championship game that belonged to Donald J. Trump and the Secret Service. <laughs> and I was like, wow. So I drive back to the hotel. It's like 31 degrees. It's freezing. I don't have a window. I can let up, so it's freezing. And I get back, and I said, hey, hey, boss, I got some bad news. My window was smashed in. I took my back. I took everything. I'm stuttering and spitting everywhere. And the first thing he says, are you okay? I said, yeah, blah, 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 blah. everything's bad. Everything's, they're going to kick, kick the ball. Blah, blah, blah. He says, are you okay? I said, yes, sir. He says, I can get you a new laptop. I can't get a new you. He says, I'm oh glad you're okay. Gosh. And so the next morning, I walked downstairs. I had a brand new laptop sitting at my desk at 8 o'clock in the morning. You know, And, of course, everything else was replaceable. And so he was glad the sweet tickets were back, obviously. Um, but I learned a valuable lesson in perspective. And so he always monikered, keep calm and play to your strengths. And ever since then, it's it's hard to rattle me after yeah. seeing those things on that stage with those stakes. And it's because my leadership, they they had a plan. And so, again, we don't rise to the occasion. We sink to our level of training. So, That's cool. That's and, exactly and he was training. He was trained up. Uh, yeah, so. I'm I'm blown away because I'm, this is the kumbaya moment yet again. But that's what we need is that kind of leadership. The ones Absolutely. that have that unbelievable perspective, which you just said there, mm-hmm. because you know people will revert to the item versus the person. Oh my goodness gracious, that was amazing! <laughs> Thank you, man. Thank you. Yeah, I couldn't leave that story out. It changed a lot of what I see and how I go about life, how I go about business, man. But if you can't see anything else, man, like I, I would always say this. I've had an embarrassment of riches of parents and mentors and leaders. It'd be really hard to mess it up with the people I've been around, yeah. you know? So I, I credit them for everything, man, honestly. Well, well, I can't thank you enough for sharing these amazing stories that made me a better person and makes me want to go high five every rugby player today <laughs> in practice and all that good stuff there. Yeah, well, please do, man. If you, like I said, man, if you ever need me to, you know, lay anything on a man, like I said, free of charge, happy to happy to ever do anything for you. I can, man. Encourage your team. Well, like like your like your grandmother, you are rich. You are. Oh, rich. thank you, man. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. That that means a lot. I don't know a greater compliment than that. Thank you so much, Gary. Thank you.